0: The following podcast contains frank discussions of domestic abuse. If you are triggered by such talk, we suggest you skip this episode of the podcast and this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer altogether. A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned.
1: The hardest thing in this world is to live in it.
2: That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be.
0: The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode, and we'll look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... Yo, what
3: up? It's Andy.
2: This is David
0: hi this is jan uh, so today we are talking about beauty and the beasts or um, as i always knew it uh, all men are beasts that was the alternate title for it a uh, very creative and it is episode four of season three it was written by marty Knoxon and directed by james whitmore jr and originally aired october 20th 1998 Yes, of this episode. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's an episode. <laughs> it is an episode. Oh,
3: it's not e- Oh, God, I found this episode to be so vile that I, like, kind of noped out at the end on even taking notes. I was just so grossed out by it.
2: Well, so we have to ask, better or worse than Teacher's Pet?
3: It has Oz in it, doesn't it? <laughs> it's better than it's Teacher's better Pet. Than, it, okay. Well, yes, but just by, but you, just a, by a hair. <laughs>
1: Mainly because of Oz and his fabulous nail polish. We'll
0: we'll get into our feelings about the episode once we get to the final thoughts, but we start out with uh, Willow babysitting Oz and, oh my god, the new werewolf look.
1: (laughs) It looked kind of like a monkey. It really did. (laughs) It's an
2: odd look.
1: It's a smaller suit-ish i
0: mean
3: it's still it's definitely not Seth in there well obviously not
2: or well, yes be a very obviously.
0: tiny suit. it would
3: be a petite werewolf I know yeah. i always wondered about that it's like why wouldn't the why wouldn't the werewolf be more petite yeah. i i just want to know why the werewolf
0: doesn't look like an actual wolf like yeah
3: it just it reminded me of a
1: lemur or something <laughs> Things. Yeah, people, <laughs> people really have a
0: problem with making werewolves look like werewolves like just make them look like a wolf like that's what they're supposed to be
2: they're yeah. they're just
0: supposed to be like humans that turn into wolves like it, it doesn't need to be like this weird like creature thing that's like bipedal and crap like that and yeah it's
1: like you know he's not a lemur, you know
2: we're although that would be cool
1: it would but that's that's like true blood territory where they had all sorts of weird oh this is supposed to be a werewolf werewolf not their wolf, so. <laughs>
3: i don't get this white fang thing, thing
1: i think it was supposed to be like the call of the white I...
2: yeah all,
1: they're all animals and they're like in you know the whole point is that he's domesticated but he's not really so all men are beasts i guess I
2: yeah think. i don't know i'm sitting there going it's like don't don't tell him about the rabbits, Willow. Okay, I what, do, I like, mean, I do like,
3: like the rabbit part. That—that that, that is. It's
2: like you're cute. just going to agitate him. I don't know what the <clears throat> yeah.
0: it it like almost a forced look at how deep I am. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like Marty Noxon had like picked up the book, and it's like, ooh, I should reference this. I'll sound so smart.
2: But mm. yeah, well, it's it, it's kind of the obvious book to use here i guess yeah just the title alone but
3: oh i mean this is the scene where we get the um i do love this part the half monty the line about like not being ready for the oz full monty she's still getting used to the half monty i just Mm -hmm. i love that yeah i just yeah Yeah, but xander's reaction
1: of course is typically douchey xander it's just stop it's none of your damn business what part she's seen who cares you
0: i mean know? even before that uh xander with his gay panic
2: No, oh, yeah
0: not handle handle as in you know actually touching a naked dude because oh my god you know i would catch gay cooties or something like that <clears throat> I mean, it was so ridiculous i,
3: I yeah. do i do like that we're establishing that willow and oz are like taking their time and you know what i mean with like Okay, mm-hmm. I'm getting used to the half Monty. And, like, like you know, it's, it's progressing like a high school relationship does, right? Yeah.
2: And it is progressing. That's the thing. It's, like, progressing actually at a fairly normal rate. Right, and an, at a yeah. pace
3: that they're both, you know, that, you know. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the yeah. whole point, uh, well, though he may be a werewolf, Oz is the farthest thing from being a beast. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right, the whole juxtaposition of... Men are beasts, but then Oz, who's an actual beast, is not mm-hmm. the... You know what I mean? He's actually the sensitive kind. Um,
0: I would like to know why Willow can't study at the library where the uh. books live. Because <laughs> she, she can't look after Oz because she has a test that she has to study for. But the library is where the books live. And there's a computer there. And... It's like, why can't you study there and look after your boyfriend? Instead, you got to leave him to Xander, who is the fucking worst.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. No, he's like, I, I mean, not only is he a jerk, which we, we already know, but he's he's a wholly irresponsible jerk. I mean, it's amazing how fast he just goes to sleep. Yeah. He doesn't even attempt to be responsible. He's just like, eh, I'm going to take a nap.
1: Right, it's not like he was sitting there and trying to pay attention or read or something he dozes off. He's just like, eh, as soon as she's gone, hit the table. Like,
3: what the hell is wrong with him? I've always wondered why don't they just trank Oz every... Or, like, have some kind of... Not that I want Willow to do an excessive amount of magic. Why isn't there some, like, mystical, sleeping... Like, I've always just wondered why... Like, obviously, it's for plot reasons and drama he needs to be able to transform and be, you know, we wouldn't get what we get without mm. it. But I'm like, if I were me, I'd be like, just freaking give me some,
2: whatever, knock me out. But there might be some unpleasant after effects from getting hit with a trank dart. And also it may not be clear how much of a dose they would need to give him for him to sleep all night. True. Mm-hmm.
1: True. Yeah, there's not like werewolf ambient that you can just <laughs> But what would happen
2: if
0: he took Ambien when he was still Oz?
1: Very good question.
3: Right?
2: And yeah, that is a, a good question. Spell.
1: Like, you know, Willow's been playing and talking to people in the Nether Netherrealm, supposedly, but she can't do a sleep spell? Or, you know, give him, I don't know, just some kind of soporific tea? Or, uh-
0: or at the very least, a barrier. Like, Willow can't, like, work on a magical barrier? Or Giles.
3: Of- it's not like Giles is a full-on... Witch or wizard or warlock or whatever, but he does know he could research something that could, yeah, a barrier or a some mm-hmm. kind of like go to sleep werewolf lullaby, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously uh, for dramatic reasons, we need Oz yeah. to be able to right, right. But I was always just wondering that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
0: and uh, well, we see why they can't have a Slayer looking after him because we've got. Buffy and Faith out patrolling together and oh my god Marty Noxon Marty Noxon I love you Marty Noxon but your Marty Noxon is showing (laughs) because we know she's got a lot of issues with men and she tries to work out a lot of her high school and college issues through this show and it is obvious in uh, Faith's talking about you know how all men are beasts it's it's Mm -hmm. very much shit that will come up repeatedly in season six and this Mm -hmm. is kind of like an early sign of what that will lead to
3: i mean it's definitely a very faith line she at least doesn't put it in buffy's mouth yeah because as we talked about before it's like faith definitely has some kind of like trust issues and all you know traumas and so you know, but still, yeah, yeah, I'm like, wow, Faith. Even I don't, even I'm not that bad about men, and I generally yeah. am like, Ur.
2: at the same time, it's kind of the mission statement for this episode. Yeah. So they had to yeah. get it in somewhere.
3: In case you you you
0: missed the point, it yeah. was a, Please. it was a little forced uh, to mm-hmm. me. Very it's forced. like, it's. It comes out fairly well in the rest of the episode, so it's like, I don't think he really needed it here. Though, I mean, like, the scene is really nice, because I actually forget that there was at one point that Buffy and Faith got along.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: They're not bestest of best friends, but yeah, they're working together. They get along,
0: okay. Yeah. They get along, okay, yeah. They talk about sex, kind of. Like, Buffy's still, like, a little, you know, hesitant about it, but Faith, like, so, yeah, you're
2: hitting that, right? <laughs> They have a pretty functional office relationship. That's, that's I like
3: that. that. That makes sense, David.
2: This is the equivalent of, you know, hanging out by the water cooler. <laughs> the holy water cooler, I suppose.
0: Oh, go stand in the corner, David.
2: Yes, ma'am. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Wait, I just caught that. <laughs> My tired oh, it was a dad joke. <laughs> right
0: that that was a dad joke and that's exactly what i tell my dad every time he tells a dad joke
3: <laughs> i love a good bad dad joke
0: so uh jan you weren't here for um faith hope and trick so uh right. since this is the first appearance of faith that you've been on you want to uh give us your your thoughts on faith a little bit um
1: i'm not a big fan of faith i mean i i've We'll see where it goes. It's been a while since I've seen these, so I, I'm just not... I don't know. There's something, again, forced. Maybe it's just this episode where it's just like, oh, she's the anti-Buffy. She's, you know, the antagonist. We'll see. I don't know. I'm just kind of like sponge at the moment. So. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I just... I, like I said, I've never really been a huge fan of hers. I, I get the concept, but I just never, like, embrace the character.
0: Well, we get the opening credits, and then the next scene is uh, the next day, and it's Buffy, Willow, Oz, and Scott, and um I love Oz so much. Like <laughs> I'm gonna say that a lot this season. Like well, we could probably start a tally. I mean, me
1: too. How do How do you not love Oz? And it's just like a little like note here because I did actually check the date. Um, in like January of 1998, they did like David Bowie's 50th birthday concert at Madison Square Garden, and I've noticed like I know Seth was a huge Bowie fan, and like the hair and the, the nail polish especially are like very bowie from that period so i just like kind of think that's a little like winking and a nod and it's not i'm still taking it that way
0: so. i love that oz did marching jazz band as a former <laughs> band geek <laughs> who did jazz band not marching jazz band but i did do jazz band the fact that when he originally appeared he's like this cool you know musician you know, you know like rock guy and he's like no i did jazz band so it's like mm-hmm. he's a he's a bander,
3: but his I mean his joke about the like improvisational nature of jazz with the jazz band <laughs> is also like oh my god he has mm-hmm. the best
1: sense of humor he really does The way he delivers his lines it's just like so dry and so like we're all chaotic so we're all kind of going in different
0: directions and, and, and when Willow says he's just being Oz and he responds with pretty much, pretty full, much time, full time. pretty much full time yeah 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 I will try to use pretty much full time at any time I have the opportunity it doesn't come up a lot but i love it when it does because it, it's it's a really good line it uh, really oz is. is oz is i think my favorite person to take lines from from buffy
3: oz and i, I think i take a lot from buffy probably too a little bit Ooh. of cordelia thrown in there
0: yeah and we get yeah. to see a little bit of buffy and scott as a quote unquote couple they're you know they're coupley coupleish but not like
3: Couple esque. I mean, they've got on, they've got on a couple dates at this point. It yeah. seems like, yeah. or like ate mm-hmm. lunch together every day or something. They're, they're not fully into the couple too.
1: As Buffy said, they're preposy They're pre-posy, right. Yes. And then
0: we we also meet uh, Debbie and Pete in this scene and. Oh boy, we're going to have a lot to say about these characters of this episode.
2: They seem so inconsequential here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know that like, oh, random new characters that everybody knows and are talking to, something's Mm going to happen with them. But it's just like, it's really hard to have someone come on like that as a one-shot character, make you care about them at all when a lot of this story is going to revolve around their relationship we they had been kind of seated beforehand like even just like
1: once or twice as people you sort of knew i'd care more i mean i get the message i mean how can you not get the message it's been like hammered into you but yeah i just found myself not really caring except wanting them to both go away as fast as possible i would be okay with
0: them just appearing in this one episode if we had more on scott Yeah. Mm. Scott is the one who cares about them. Scott is the one who is friends with them, but we've only known Scott for one episode, and he was not even really in that episode a whole lot. He was more kind of like almost the consolation prize at the end. So That's a really Mm -hmm.
3: great point, MC. I really, yeah. Like, what is his reaction? What is going... Because, yeah, he's the end for this relationship. I mean, obviously Oz knows Debbie too, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, and later Scott will drop, well, I've known them since before we went to school or something, but you never get that real feeling of closeness from them. I don't know, maybe it's just the way they're acting. Yeah,
2: yeah, Scott's Scott's relationship with them is essentially mechanical. There's no real characterness to it. It's just like, oh, Scott's friends with these guys. Oh, they've been friends a long time. It's just, it, it's informational. It doesn't really give you any feeling for their relationship.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I even, I mean, you get even, you get more of Oz's reaction to at least Debbie than you do Mm -hmm. anything. And obviously Oz is a character that we've come to very quickly love. So of course his Mm -hmm. emotional, whatever's going on for him in this episode related to his wolfiness and being worried about, w- you know, that's going to come through a little stronger because we already have established a relationship with him, but yeah.
0: Yeah, this is the annual Oz episode. And one of the reasons why I think Seth had no compunction with leaving the show is because they never, I mean, as much as I love Oz, they never give him a whole lot to play with. It's kind of like, okay, Seth, um, you're really into Willow and you're a werewolf. Go. Oh, and also you have really good lines, but that's kind of the extent of what they do with Mm. Oz. And so like every episode that is centered around Oz is centered around the wolfiness and trying to find that balance. And yes, it's very important. And you know, we'll find out later that Oz is actually going about handling his lycanthropy in the completely wrong way. And you know, it's all metaphor for teen, you know, growth and angst and blah, 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 blah.
2: On Buffy? No, say it isn't so.
0: But they hit the same notes where they, I think they do what? like four episodes about Oz as the werewolf, and, and they're always
1: kind of hitting the same notes, so
0: yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: it would have been nice to actually have an Oz episode where it's just he's doing something else where you find out about his family, or you know, it's not just "Oh, hi, I'm a werewolf, and somebody thinks I've killed somebody.
3: Kind of like the Zeppo, but for Oz. Oh, that would have been good. Uh, But we get to uh, the library.
0: Uh, The gang goes in and Giles is um, having his, you know, British freak out. And Oz's great line, just a thought, poker, not your game. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to wonder why isn't like they've obviously been looking for a while as to how Oz could have escaped uh, because they're, they're, they're Giles is very panicky. So, why wasn't his first question to Xander? Were you watching him all night? I was also bothered that the window was way too small and way too high yes. up for Oswolf to get out, uh-huh. like even though yeah. they have slimmed down the the suit, it was still way too small.
1: yeah, the high up didn't bother me because he in theory he's a werewolf he could leap, but yeah,
0: look, oh,
2: yeah wait- no, no, it's just too small So to like. Just yeah. Got a
1: lot of there. Yeah. yeah,
0: because the window wasn't even open all the way. It was only open part way. So you'd have he'd have to be like Yeah,
2: no. Like really <laughs> slither
0: through. Right. Mm-hmm. And also,
1: you know, when later on they do this whole thing with forensics and Willow looking for hairs and stuff. But like nobody looks because if there was a wolf that forced its way out of that window, wouldn't you look to see if it was forced out? Wouldn't you see if there was like hair that got caught? It's like they don't even look. They're just like they look up and see the window and go, Oh, he must have gone out of here.
3: And mm-hmm. just like, I, I mean it isn't a moment of Panic and like, oh gosh, did this really happen? That I don't know what I'm trying to say. That's like a heightened emotion mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't know if they're really thinking about looking at the window. I don't know. Forget it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my mind is well, there, wandering. There's a
0: lot of panic going on. Yeah, though I, I was very pleased when I first saw this episode, where it's like, oh my god, they're letting arms have a plot. Oh, precious.
3: Oh, and uh. his sad face is so sad. Yeah, yeah mm. I was just like, it broke my little heart because. He is such a gentle person. Yes. You know, Oz yeah. is... Mm-hmm. Besides punching and Xander that one time, he's a very... I right. mean, and obviously slaying, but that's not really... You know what I mean?
0: Basically, the only times Oz loses his cool is if he feels that
1: Willow is being threatened right. in some way. Yeah. yeah, he's very protective of her, but yep. other than that,
0: yeah, he's not a fighter. He's a lover. Buffy ends up having to take off because she needs to go to her counseling session. And... Mr. Platt was just way too too nice to live. Like he, he was, oh yeah, I liked him.
2: Yeah. I I really like Platt, but of course that means he's he's gonna die.
0: Well, yeah, he was nice, and he smoked. And if you're a good yeah. guy
1: who smokes on Buffy, you're
0: dead. Yeah, you're
2: dead.
1: Right. I mean, and that was also by that point in time, that was like ever true of every show. Either the only people who smoked were villains or nice people that were somehow going to wind up in bad situations.
2: As as we talked about with Mr. Trick's comment last last episode, he's not white enough to live in Sunnydale.
3: Truth. That is absolute truth.
2: Which is honestly one reason why I was really sad to see him go. Sorry, spoilers. Uh, I
3: was (laughs) sad to see him go because he was actually pretty good at his job. He was a little preachy and a little much, but that's more of a writer thing instead of, but as someone who has done a lot of study on counseling techniques, he sets up the therapeutic relationship And and rapport like really well without it being overly mannered or overly. He's just yeah. I mean, he's trying to make a connection to Buffy, and it seems like Buffy's actually kind of kind of into it. Mm -hmm. And it was also for me. I you know I
1: come from also a background of like psych and social work, Um, so it was really nice to see like a therapist or a counselor that was actually portrayed well and right, and not like some kind of wackadoo or just like Mm -hmm. stuff stuff that you'd never discuss in therapy.
3: Yeah. So yeah. Or someone that's just terrible, like, oh, Buffy has to go see this counselor and Mm -hmm. he's really just this sort of bored guidance counselor guy He's really, I mean, Debbie will say that she doesn't like the things he says, but that's probably because he's trying to help her confront things and make her, when you're not open to it, it doesn't work.
0: We'll Mm -hmm. get into Platt's relationship with Debbie a bit later. Yeah, Uh,
3: But I I do. He he forms a really nice therapeutic bond with Buffy. And she seems to be kind of like, all right, this isn't going to be as bad as I thought it was. If if he
0: hadn't died, I really would have liked if she had been able to be honest with him. I think he would have been down
2: with it. I think it would have been nice if they had had him as a continuing character. Well, y'all know how I feel about this whole... He has to die. The
3: whole gang needs freaking counseling, especially Buffy. Oh, well, yeah. I've said that over and over, so I, I, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't see it as a missed opportunity, because it would be kind of hard to weave in. but, But I really like the thought of Buffy actually benefiting from counseling. But, of course, that's much like the really nice bio teacher and teacher's pet, actually, Mm -hmm. who actually seems to be caring and Buffy seems to like want to sort of engage with him, immediately taken away from her because everything good gets taken away from Buffy. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's par for the course on a show about a hero's journey. But
2: right. uh, But like any any adult on Buffy is either going to have some serious issues with dealing with teenagers or they're going to die or they're Giles. Even Giles has some serious issues in dealing with teenagers. I mean, he's probably the best of the bunch, but there are definitely times when he's just like, you're just like, no, Giles, come on. You used to be a teenager. You should know better.
0: Then we move on to Buffy rejoining the gang, and, oh my God, Xander, shut the fuck up. Because, like, I mean, I... I, uh, I mean, like, just read the room. Like, that's just read the room xander because oz is obviously like really upset oz is usually pretty good at covering that stuff up so the fact that he's showing how upset he is you know don't talk about him tearing people apart
3: i slightly maybe disagree oz is like not someone that covers it up he's actually pretty blunt about his wants and needs and emotions he's just so not flat but like more contained with it
2: I think the word you're looking for is chill.
3: But Xander's awful, yeah. Xander, Xander is like making him feel so much worse.
2: Well, that's what, I mean, Xander's basically all about Xander.
3: Yeah, always. for sure. Always. always. I mean, he does improve later on. I will give him that. But... I
2: mean, I'm, and it's not that he can't tell because when people point it out, he he does realize that he's done, he's he's screwed up. But left to his own devices, it's just like other people. What are they?
0: But Oz wants to leave and doesn't have the opportunity because of the full moon
3: i love that this is what i love most about oz he's like i have to do it i know it's kind of dramatic but i have to do it he's actually stating what he wants to do instead of just i mean he doesn't get the opportunity because he has to go in the cage but if, if it wasn't for the cage and all that stuff you know i he's telling them i need to walk off he's not just like yelling and then running off in a huff he's saying okay This is what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. like I need to do right now. I need to walk off and off, but I will be back. You know what I mean? He's actually really honest. Again, he's the beast that's not the beast. He's very open. He's open. He's expressing what his needs are. He's expressing disappointments when those needs aren't being met, but he still knows what he has to do.
2: Oz is the best, not the beast.
3: He is the best. He's got really good communication skills. The man is, for all his taciturnness, he is a communicator. And he's also very in touch
1: with his emotions because he's, to say this is what I need, and this is why I need it now. Instead of just like reacting and then saying, "Oh yeah, I guess I needed it after the fact." Yeah, so. mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah. But there's a maturity, there's like an old soulness about Oz that you know the others don't necessarily have. That he really knows himself.
0: Yeah. And we're gonna have the Slayers out in full force. Faith is gonna look after Oz, and Buffy's gonna go out patrolling to hopefully find something else that's attacking people. And so she does go out, and what does she find? But Angel returned from. Yeah, I'm still going to call it Kortoth. He's returned from Kortoth. (laughs) But what I want to know is um, Angel's feral and not in control of himself. So how did he put pants on?
3: (laughs) It's like the old.
2: I forget. Did he? come back with no pants or no not? he
0: was buck naked nope. but
2: i figured you you would re- i figured you'd remember that yeah
3: why would i remember that
2: no you guys
3: oh oh i remember women on this podcast <laughs> no <laughs>
0: no i think what he's saying is that we tend to remember everything that happens in buffy but yeah, yeah no, that, that you, too you, yes you see david boreanaz's butt when he when he, okay. when he crash lands but yeah he's put pants on now and he's he's feral, so I want to know why he's modest. No, that thing should be flapping in the breeze. <laughs> well, he's not. You're
1: a
3: director, you?
0: Maybe
2: um. maybe they're special feral pants. <laughs> I don't know.
3: I mean, the the Watsonian perspective is definitely why isn't he wearing pants? The Doyleist yeah. is like, well, because it's it's network TV made for teenagers, so he right. better be wearing pants. And they're, like, not even ragged pants that you just, like, randomly put on. There's, like, a nice pair of trousers, right? Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. not like Hulk
1: pants where he put them
3: on years ago in the Demon Dimension and
1: then came back and they're just, like, you know, like, shredded. No. Mm -hmm. They don't even, they don't
0: even, like, I mean, he landed in the mansion on Crawford Street and then went out and, like, did his feral angel thing. But they don't particularly look like pants that either Angel or Spike would wear. So I mean like they're not like like the leather pants or or jeans or whatever. They're they're kind of cargo-ish. So it's like yeah. the angel kill somebody and steal their pants.
3: <laughs> okay, that's my new headcanon. Well, life. I frequently go out and just like randomly steal people's pants, so that's, you know,
2: <laughs> ish. Well, maybe it's one of the vampire flunkies from last season.
3: Were they living at the mansion or did they just kind of
0: like come by? I don't know.
2: Uh, vampire flunkies, I have no idea how often they wear pants. <laughs> they may just take them off for no apparent reason. I don't understand vampire flunkies. So anything's possible.
1: Thinking like we saw a
0: lot of vampire flunkies at the warehouse when that was still around. But after that mm-hmm. got burned and they moved to Crawford Street, the only mm-hmm. time we saw vampire flunkies was during the Akathla ritual. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: the rest of it was just like the, the, the vampire domestic trio. So... I don't think they were living there, so I don't know. Maybe it's, like, uniform that they have for their vampire flunkies. They just have, like, a closet. You know, grab some pants out of the closet.
2: Did did you lose your pants again here?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the vampire flunky quartermaster has, like, a whole closet full of stuff in everybody's size to make sure that the vampire flunkies are wearing the right clothes. Or it's like the old
3: trope of someone coming from somewhere naked or accidentally being naked and having to steal some Pants off of a clothesline, but still, I mean, he's feral. Where he should not be wearing, pants. why would he care? Why, why would yeah. he care? He'd be like, It's blowing in yeah. the breeze.
0: Uh, the rest of the scoobs go to the morgue, and actually, it's convenient that we call them the scoobs because Willow yes. is carrying a Scooby yeah, Doo Scooby lunchbox.
2: Do lunchbox. Yes, she I is. That was
0: adorable. It was, yeah probably my favorite xander line of the episode we're doing crime here don't he don't sneak up during crime <laughs>
1: he's still treating oh, cordy back he is minutes, i noticed, yeah i just want to like smack him the way he's treating her again like xander yeah. he
3: yells at his girlfriend for no i mean the crime part yeah that's pretty funny but
1: yeah it's just the attitude and it's like considering this is an episode about you know domestic violence and stuff you just think that maybe xander should be a little bit nicer to his girlfriend is not to come off like pete yeah,
0: and uh, the body that they have. I mean, they all have, like, these really extreme reactions to the body. Well, I mean, they have the head turned away, so I'm guessing, like, the face was ripped off or something. Mm-hmm. But, like, the the torso looks pretty pristine. Like, you don't see any, like, gore. Like, I know this was a, you know, 8 o'clock show on the WB, but... If you're going to talk about how he looks like he was ripped apart by a wild animal, maybe make him look like he was Mm -hmm. ripped apart by a wild animal.
2: Well, to be fair, I'm jumping ahead here, but when we see Platt in his office later, he's not ripped apart at all. He's kind of, he's wounded. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's got like, like serious gashes, but no real dismemberment or... In fact, I mean, I mean, he's sitting there with his goddamn cigarette still burning. I, I still want to know how that works. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but I mean, it's...
0: They seem to be really working way too hard to make Oz look like the bad guy. Yeah. When, if Oz had done it, it would have been much more serious than that. Like, mm-hmm. we see what happens later when Oz kills Faruka.
3: He rips her throat out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obvious, I think it's obvious to most of the audience that it's not going to be Oz. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I never mm-hmm. thought watching this episode it would ever possibly. It's, it's, it's like, are they setting it up? Is it Oz or is it Angel? Right. And then they throw mm-hmm. in this third character to prove that it wasn't either right. of the.
2: And that's probably why they're trying so hard to make it look like Oz. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Because, but it, but it just makes it so, it just makes it that obvious it's that it's a red yeah. So So yeah. it's, yeah, just doesn't work. Yeah.
0: Uh, the only time they actually let Oz kill anything on the show is if they're not human. Uh, we're gonna, It's going to be very interesting to look at this show as how they treat non-human characters, because Oz ends up killing the zombie in the Zeppo, and then he will kill Veruca. And granted, they are, like, morally horrible characters, but also... They, I mean, especially coming with this season, there is this very much the we-don't-kill-humans thing, and so
3: yeah i mean i think for the, the the zombie versus the veruca is maybe a different thing with the werewolf but you know yeah no it's i feel your point yeah.
0: point. and so buffy takes angel home i like the detail of having drew's dolls still there when she's uh pulling the chains out of the the drawer or something obviously spike and drusilla's kink chest
2: <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: I'll buy that. Yes. Uh, but Buffy, you're a fucking fail boat for not sharing info. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: I mean, I I get it, but it, it's still a big fail. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm.
0: I get it to an extent,
3: but
0: uh, I don't.
3: Know. I think she wants uh, to. I mean, I think because of the trauma of killing him one time, she is very frightened that if she comes clean about it right away, there's. Someone's just going to go in and stake him. Giles will go stake him. The whole part
1: of the the end of the last season was like when she shares things, people jump all over her and like make her feel bad. So she doesn't want to deal with that end of it too. Or have somebody say, well, you know, you really have to kill him right this time.
3: So. Well, I, that's true. Xander would completely yeah. fucking yeah, I, overreact in a heartbeat. And after as what, he does, and, and she does. And after Giles being tortured like that, he would immediately just go stake him. If I were Giles, I'd immediately just go stake him. But Oh, so yeah. I mean I, and there's yeah. there's that and there's definitely the Buffy having to work out her feelings about but it's still like Buffy come on dude
0: but she has Willow that she could talk to and Willow probably wouldn't tell anybody and she has Faith who you know it's like okay there's two slayers and I bet Faith would probably take Buffy's side if Buffy just opened up to her because the problem in Revelation isn't that Angel is back it's that Buffy didn't share it, that Faith yeah. found out elsewhere. So I bet if Buffy had talked to her, then maybe it would have been okay. But uh, we do get a scene of Buffy and Faith together when Buffy goes to the library because she wants to look up information about how Angel could come back and Faith is dancing around to music.
2: Card catalogs for the win.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, oh my God, card catalogs. Like, I mean, I get that card catalogs were still a thing back in 1998, but they, by then, they were starting to move
3: stuff over onto computer.
2: I think in Giles' library, that process was probably Truth. delayed.
3: Right. <laughs> we do know Giles is very technophobic, so, yeah, he'd be the last one to convert over.
2: I, for one, love card catalogs. So I used to love them
1: as a kid, so, yeah. Also, it's, like, weird because,
0: like... Giles does scan stuff out of the library and so usually Mm -hmm. when you're scanning stuff out of the library that means there's a there is a computer system in place.
2: I could see this being a transitional period where maybe scanning was starting to come in but we hadn't yet gotten rid of card catalogs. Okay that's so that's fair. Yeah,
1: and card catalogs, I think, just for the whole dramatic Buffy having to go look things up and go through this whole thing is easier than seeing her, like, sitting at a computer, especially in those days when not everybody was, was doing yeah. computer research stuff yet. And I mean,
0: it would read easier as this is what Buffy is doing if she yeah. was using yeah. the card catalog, yeah. Again, I take so many fashion cues from Faith because uh, the way she's dressed in the scene, other than the fact that she's wearing leather pants, I think I've worn leather pants maybe twice in my life, but, like, the whole, like, black tank top look that's uh, that's very much like and the dark eye makeup
3: i i i did a lot of faith look i never looked as good as elijah dushku well most of us don't uh, also she had an on-set makeup artist so that is you know yeah uh, <laughs> that, always helps.
0: that helps well also just in general i don't look like elijah dushku i think that's the main thing so
3: but you're perfect just the way you look as you
0: are um and uh then the morning comes and giles comes in to start the day and just quick yowza to
3: the uh, shot I, me shirtless. That, I had that uh, one too
0: but um buffy totally fell asleep and giles isn't gonna be mad at her like that was the whole that was the crux of the problem
3: yep. in- yeah, it's so much easier yeah. to get mad at Xander if you're Giles.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is, that you know, if he escaped through the window once, wouldn't he do it again if he could? I mean, like, yeah. But I also don't understand why they only have one person watching Oz.
3: Like,
0: why yeah. can't we have, like, two people like, so that we can switch off and, like, you take, you know, a two-hour nap and then we'll just... It just it seems a lot Well, suffer. that would be
2: smart, but, you know... Doing yeah. it in shifts would make more sense, yeah.
3: I really like this convo between giles and buffy oh yeah it's really it's it's very nice i mean and giles is really she he's being so honest with her and she's not being honest back i mean i think Mm -hmm. that's partially that sort of how giles and buffy work on sort of like a parent child relationship kids aren't always completely honest with their parents even if it's not something as big as their dead boyfriend coming back (laughs) I just I just you know Sarah and Tony even the smallest scenes with them because they're both I mean Sarah had been working since she was like a little little kid and obviously Tony's a total pro so it's as someone that has a degree in theater knowing how important a scene partner is not just someone you're doing dialogue with but an actual true partner in your acting I just that's why I always love Buffy and Giles scenes because they really Sarah and Tony really have that Partner quality about them in their acting. They both do. Sometimes the other person in the scene isn't quite as giving.
0: Yeah, and this was one of the last times that we really got to feel Giles's emotions about Jenny. I mean, there there is a couple more times when it will be mentioned, but this is the last time that I think we really get Giles's emotional state over it, and it makes me sad. But I mean, obviously, it's been. Uh, probably about half a year at this Mm -hmm. point since it happened so i mean the mentions do taper off after somebody has passed so giles's comments about how no one returns from a demon dimension angel the series just really pisses all over that i mean like buffy like uh, there was a couple of times on buffy that people come back from demon dimensions but just thinking about angel like Fred, the whole of Angel, the whole of Angel Investigations gang, Angel on like multiple occasions, Connor gun. Like, there's just so many demon dimensions, and they're always coming back from
2: them. Well, maybe no one came back from one before, and Angel did it, and then everyone started doing
0: Mm. it. (laughs) Well, it could be like that whole thing in DC Comics, where, like, they were like, never really like bringing people back from the dead, but then when they brought (laughs) Superman (laughs) back from the dead, they said that Superman, like, left the gates of, you know, the afterlife open, like, a little bit, and so that's why people return
3: more. Or, you know, Giles just doesn't have the proper information, because it was never given to him by the fucking Watchers
2: Council.
0: I I just like David's just like throwing his hands up and just disgust at me bringing up that.
2: Don't don't even get started on like comic book death. That's just (laughs) that's that's just a joke.
0: And uh, Willow Willow's been at the donut place since the TV did the white noise thing. Um, Uh, And it's that joke really dates this episode because no channels do that anymore. No 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 i uh, haven't done that in years and also if she couldn't sleep why didn't she come to the library to go you, know, you know watch after uh, the
3: that's my frustrated noise
0: but jelly donut yes. and this is i think the first is this the first mention of the buffy gang and their jelly, donuts, jelly donuts? donuts yeah
3: i think so might be because they do love their jelly donuts even giles loves the jelly donuts For good reason. they are delicious. Well, yeah. Yeah. Now I want a jelly donut. Dang it. Dunkin' Donuts is too far away. I was just going to say, damn it, I want a punchki. I have no idea what that is. It's a Polish jelly donut. Oh, those are good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Sorry, sometimes I get really Polish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's
2: okay. You're entitled. Donuts.
0: (laughs) And Buffy ends up going to lunch with Scott and his friends. And she's eating (laughs) jello. Lots
1: of jello much
0: jello i didn't realize well i mean granted i dropped out and i even when i was in high school i didn't eat in the cafeteria for lunch because i lived like a block away from the high school but i didn't think that high school's had that many jello products
3: that you know i can't remember because i i never ate in the cafeteria we would go grab something out of the cafeteria and bring it outside to the lawn
0: I also feel like at this point, like in nineteen ninety eight, that you wouldn't have these plates of gelatinous dishes, that you would get like the little jello cups instead of like like mm. actual things that look like lunch ladies made them. I mean maybe that explains why the lunch lady goes crazy and <laughs> <True>. earshot. Mm. <laughs> and this scene really establishes that Pete's a fucking terrible person. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, my note is, glad to see they're making us know we're not supposed to like him right from the get-go. Yeah, because,
0: I mean, like he's misogynistic, he's homophobic, and he's just fucking disrespectful.
2: He is the anti-Oz.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just do not like him at all. And this is the scene that establishes that Debbie is really creeped out by Mr. Platt, and Buffy kind of likes him. And I think that yeah like we mentioned before i think platt was probably on to the fact that pete was abusing debbie and Mm -hmm. trying to break that relationship and debbie is obviously very much the battered woman trying to protect her abuser which is not it's not unrealistic
3: oh it's completely realistic It usually takes yeah i don't know the exact statistic off my head but it's like Six or seven times before someone is actually able to leave, like times that they've tried to leave until they actually succeed. It's it, it's it's a pretty high statistic. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: very hard to unfortunately,
3: especially for a high school student. You know, especially for someone that's yeah. not you know, a cust- it, again, that it does not have any emotional maturity, whose brain is not fully formed, who's actually being formed by these experiences in ways that they're not even going to begin to know about. I mean, Debbie's never going to be able to know about it, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is just the fact that, especially with, you know, early on, without a lot of experience, a lot of relationships, you think, oh my God, somebody loves me. I need to be with them no matter what. And you, you actually buy into that stuff all the gaslight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard.
2: I mean, what we'll see... As we follow Debbie through the rest of this episode, she, she is a re- she is a river in Egypt. It is, <laughs> I mean, just like which is again not unrealistic. Well, but, and
3: Scott has said he's known them both they, since before school even started. I'm not saying they've been together that long, but it seems to me that they're, I get
0: right. the impression they were probably their first, first relationship, relationship ever, and that relationship
3: mm-hmm. is longer than because they, they're juniors at this point. No, they're seniors at this point. That maybe those are the two people that have been going out since 7th or 8th grade. You know, they they have been Mm -hmm. together a long, long time.
0: Every school has that one couple that has been together since, you know, like 7th or 8th grade. And -hmm. stay together until senior year and then end up breaking up when they go off to college. Of course, they never get the chance. Or
3: they get married and they end up divorced by the time they're 30. But that's, you know.
0: After that, we get Buffy visiting Angel. And Angel is just still feral.
2: Still wearing pants. Still
0: wearing pants. (laughs) The feral (laughs) pants of doom. Because we don't want the Angel full Monty. Yeah, we have to deal with the Angel half a Monty in this episode. Yeah. It's a good, I'm sorry, it's a good half Monty. Monty.
3: uh, David Boreanaz gets super bulky later in his career, but... This horny old lady is just (laughs) totally fine with the half Monty.
0: Uh, Well, I have to, I was watching some YouTube videos before and it was the videos from when Entertainment Weekly did the Buffy shoot, which I'd seen before, Mm -hmm. but I was watching them again. And I was watching it. I was like, wow, David
3: Boreanaz has aged really well. -hmm. Oh, he really has. I see the the previews for whatever that SEAL team. Whatever that SWAT SEAL. Seal.
2: It's SEAL team, yeah.
3: SEAL team. I get those previews a lot because I watch elementary. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I see those a lot. And you know, that's not a show I'd ever watch. It is definitely not my thing. But yeah, Mm -hmm. he's a really he's he's he aged really, really well. Yeah, he took care of himself. He's still very attractive. Out of all of the characters, I think he's the one who looks
0: the closest to the way he looked on the show. Now, granted, he was the oldest, so like, there's not going to be yeah, like that right. big really, a, huh? A interesting. But, yeah, I mean, everybody else looks fantastic, but they look different. They look different. I yeah. say I,
2: mean, I, I'm actually I'm finally getting around to watching the last season of Bones, and he looks different to me. I mean, I mean, not not drastically different, but there is definitely it's it's very it's it's an interesting comparison watching him on Bones, especially the end of Bones versus watching him on Buffy.
0: I mean, also for the EW shoot, they probably painted him like they did paint Angel as opposed Mm. to on Bones when they would have painted him to look like, you know, a I, I never really watched Bones that much. He was like a. Investigator. Uh,
2: He's,
0: an FBI. FBI He's an FBI agent. agent. Okay,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I couldn't really. Remember. You mean you
2: mean Lucifer has watched all of Bones and you haven't?
0: <laughs> There's a lot of shit that I have
2: to watch, and
3: <laughs> don't. I mean, Bones is it's, well. No, it's this is just mindless.
2: This is one of my favorite uh, yeah. crossover moments on on uh, on Fox because in a recent episode of uh, Lucifer. Lucifer decides he's not going to sleep anymore. So he's up for several days and he binge watches all of Bones. Yes. It's hilarious. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I've seen some Bones. My mom used to enjoy watching Bones, which she found very funny because she never really cared <laughs> for Angel on either show. So <laughs> she th- found it amusing that she liked him on Bones. but
3: That's a different character. So yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it's very different.
3: David looks great. David, David lo- looks David great. Looks really and great.
0: honestly, that's the really only thing. Thank you. For this scene.
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> David a, a always looks great. Handsome. David, there's a much more handsome David involved in the Buffy <laughs> universe. And that is David on this podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, here's the thing. It's, it's David A and David B.
2: Yes. There you go.
0: You are the A-David.
2: I am the A-David. the
0: A-David. <laughs> so we have the next scene, which is where we actually... Find out what's kind of going on. We get Pete and Mm. Debbie and uh, Buffy going to see Platt, and and they're kind of intercut with each other. And um, Mm. don't turn around and just listen. Never goes well. It doesn't. It's it's just it's such a trope. But yeah, we find out that Pete is doing whatever he's doing. He's
2: Jekyll and hiding. He's
0: Jekyll and hiding. Yeah.
1: Well, that was, like, the only, that was the only, like, universal monster we hadn't seen already, so Mm. it was, like, it was, it was time for that one. Was Jekyll and Hyde a universal monster? Oh, yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. of course, yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry. the Spencer Tracy version, yeah. Yeah,
0: sorry, it's been a long time since I've seen any of the universal movies, but then I just remembered, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. you saw that shitty The Mummy movie, and, uh, (laughs) what's his name, uh, Russell Crowe was Jekyll and Hyde in that, that movie was fucking Mm. terrible.
2: I I recommend the Frederick March myself, but that's... uh, Well,
1: that's that's a good version too, but I like this
2: one
0: But yes, this was kind of the last of the Universal Monsters that they hadn't done, and I I guess this is a good metaphor for it? The whole, you know, the changing of personalities? Yeah,
2: Yeah, if you're going to use a traditional monster for this, this would be the one, yeah.
0: But this... Yeah. And I mean, this is when we really get into the domestic abuse elements
3: of this episode. Mm -hmm. I and oh god, Buffy breaks my heart in that scene with Dead Platt. I mean, it's like, you know, it's and this is gonna be a recurring theme for Buffy as a character. Anytime she actually tries to be open and emotionally honest, it backfires and something bad happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like and that's one of the reasons why I think And the writers have definitely set it up that every time she comes forward, every time she tries to, you know, be vulnerable or tell someone something or it, it blows up and either someone dies or something incredibly bad happens. So therefore she never tells people anything, Mm -hmm. which could be one of the reasons she tried to tell, to justify her not telling people about Angel. She goes in and tries to tell someone about Angel and what's happening with her and they're dead.
2: Mm. Right
3: and for a teenager that could be causation doesn't equal correlation doesn't equal causation but in the mind of a teenager but in the mind of a teenager sometimes it does
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: and it's
3: also so. just trauma
1: added on top of both his own all... yeah i mean she's i just always experienced so yeah she's gonna learn not to talk mm-hmm. yeah.
0: uh so the effect of turning pete into the monster um yeah that was fucking terrible yeah, the the shaking of the head thing.
1: Just to note here, it actually reminded me way too much of the Doctor Who episodes End of Time and the same effect wherein mm-hmm. John, everybody turned into John Sim the man.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. And I'm just wondering. I was watching, considering we know Russell T. Davis was a you know Buffy and, and Angel fan, whether or not that's where they nicked it from. But it was just like it bothered me because I kept expecting them all to turn into John, to turn into John. Sim, it, as John
0: it, it's actually Sim. really funny because uh, I watched this episode right before I, I saw Infinity War, and no spoilers, but there is a scene where Doctor Strange is having his head like move all around, right, right, right. and yeah. Yeah. I was like, "Oh my God, is he going to turn into the Peat Monster?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I hope not. Oh no, no, God, thankfully not. I do have some thoughts about this. These these two merged scenes. First of all, the the, the thing with Platt. Makes no sense physically.
0: The way he dies?
2: Yeah, it's like, first of all, he's clearly wounded, but none of those wounds look fatal. Two, if that happened to me, I would oh, not okay. still be holding on to my goddamn cigarette. <laughs> that is just crazy.
1: The positioning of his body was totally bizarre. Nobody died. Unless they are like literally struck by lightning or like some magic spell, you know, we just like you don't die with like holding your cigarette out in the
2: the kind of monster that kills him would not leave him in that state. Yeah. It's, yeah. So there's that. And then there's the Pete and Debbie thing. And I'm like, what is Pete's motivation for making this formula? Which, by the way, I'm convinced is, like, just, they just opened some glow sticks. <laughs> yeah. And, and dumped, no, seriously, I I have a friend who did this for something. And it's like, yeah, that's glow stick juice. But it's like, it's not, Debbie doesn't seem to be Giving him any reason to like prove himself in any way.
3: That's that's that is, or
2: maybe I mean, I'm missing something.
3: Ab- abusers are just like that. Yeah, there has to be. There does not have to be any.
2: Oh no, no, I get reason. Oh oh for
3: oh, oh any no, I... of their bullshit.
2: Oh, absolutely no, I totally believe he would abuse what? her, the
3: but Jacqueline Hyde thing
2: to like create some formula to become Mister Hyde. Like that seems more of an effort than. There's any point to?
0: I mean, it's not so much for me the motivation because I do get the motivation. It's that he always felt that he needed to become stronger and able to control her more, and especially if she's getting help from people from like Mister Platt and stuff. And so maybe he's feeling mm-hmm. like his control is slipping or whatever, so he needs to do more maybe. and more. Also, you got to remember that these are people who are going to school on top of the fucking hellmouth. Yeah.
2: So mm-hmm. there's yes, all of there's these always that. evil
0: thoughts that are being like poured into them so it's like yes Mm -hmm. maybe this is a really good idea for me to like make up this formula but my problem is that you never get any indication that he has any scientific background. Yeah he's
1: he's not your normal like Dr. Jekyll and and Henry Hyde thing because he's not I think it would have been more effective if maybe he had been like I don't want to use the word wimpier but if he had been gentler and then he started doing the sciencey thing for some reason and that's when he became abusive and then that stuck I don't know. It's just like the whole character of Pete, as much as he's like mm-hmm. a, a paint by numbers, domestic abuser, which is horrible. The motivation for the character and it, it just like doesn't
3: really. So for me, I don't think the motivation thing, lack of motivation bothers me there's a lot that bothers me here but the lack of motivation doesn't bother me because the motivation for a domestic abuser is never clear and it's never logical and you know what i mean like i i I don't feel like the how how can i put this sensitively i don't really care about what an abuser's motivation is i i care that the abuser, yeah. is abusing.
1: Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I don't know if that. I don't want to speak for David, but for me, it's like the abuse thing is fine. It's just the whole why does he become Jekyll and Hyde and what the hell that part. of I've lived with him more as just an yeah. abusive guy who's just abusive without having to like do the job on top of it.
2: Exactly. I well, don't. I, I mean, don't. I don't question the abuse or that he's an abuser. It's just this seems like a weird way yeah. to go about it.
3: Well, because this, this, this episode handles domestic violence in the most freaking yeah, ham-handed well, way okay. possible. Well, and that's, it's so bothersome because the way they treat it, the way Marty treats it is very after school yeah. special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, you know, this is the wrong show and the wrong writers to actually be trying to tackle this in a nuanced way. So his lack mm-hmm. of motivation and the whys are just inconsequential to me.
2: I mean, I guess that's at heart what I'm saying is that I think this wasn't done well.
3: It's almost
0: <laughs> the same problem that they had with Reptile Boy when they were trying to make it a metaphor for date rape. And then they actually included an attempted date rape in there. This they're mm. trying to do a new monsters as metaphor for domestic violence, but they just Flat out have domestic right. violence in there. So they're almost mm-hmm. trying to justify the killing of Pete at the end by making
1: him some sort of monster. But right. Pete is right. the monster. And it's like metaf- you don't need the metaphor right. because you could just have him as a domestic, you know, as a guy who beats up his girlfriend and be a shit and not need the Jekyll and Hyde thing. Just, like I said, it just the whole thing doesn't make
3: See, the more mm-hmm. we talk about this, the more this may have catapulted this, that may have made it catapult this above above teacher's pad is my very least favorite episode because it's so it's so like watching this i'm so viscerally disturbed by that and Mm -hmm. how badly it's handled and then there's even the slight metaphor for drinking and drugs you know of like why like i really could give two shits about why an abuser does what Mm. he does like and i just see i'm getting all upset talking about it because this episode really did upset me so viscerally Mm -hmm. the other problem is with the jekyll and hyde thing is that they're throwing that in there
1: but the whole point of those characters is they're diametrically reposed and here you're getting like you know mr hyde and even more mr hyde or whatever or dr dr you're not there's no nuances between the things like my i come from you know my dad was emotionally and and verbally abusive i I lived with that my whole life his whole family was but my dad also could be like the sweetest nicest kindest person but that was where the dichotomy comes in and his mother used to say he was jekyll and hyde because you did have that very black and very white personality in terms of and and later on in his life it kind of bled through but there was a time where it was like you knew when to like kind of avoid the shit that was going on and here it's like he's always you know pete's always bad and he's like bad and then he's worse and that actually doesn't yeah if you're going for the metaphor you don't
3: That's not what you do. And we've already seen in that cafeteria scene that Pete is not a nice person, even when he's not all hide it out. Yeah. May I also
0: just mention, just going back to that lunchroom scene, Pete making that horrible comment about the manic depressive chick. Oh, oh, yeah. Which I feel like Marty put in there as almost like foreshadowing to this whole Jekyll and Hyde thing. And fuck mm-hmm. her for doing that because of somebody fuck with her. bipolar yeah. disorder. I'm, I'm not fucking Jekyll
3: and Hyde. And that's not how that works no, at no. all. Nope. Right. It also doesn't turn off and on like a freaking dime. So yeah,
2: The most interesting thing about this episode for me is it points up. And I think, I think MC, you were talking a bit about this earlier is, you know, the question on Buffy. And this is something I think about Buffy and Angel generally. And this is me coming from my philosophy brain is it's like the question of who is it okay to kill? Huh. And by making Pete a monster monster as opposed to just a human monster means it's okay to kill him.
3: Very good point. Have you ever checked out
0: All Things Philosophical on Buffy and Angel? It's a, it's no. a website, um, which it I can't remember. It's the acronym is the uh, I'll find is it. The address. It was uh, run by my friend Masquerade, and I know it's still up there. Big Connor mm-hmm. fan. I loved her.
2: Yeah. I'm also right now wondering if one of those pop culture and philosophy books has been done about yeah. Buffy and Angel. Oh,
3: yeah, they have sh- It must have. Oh, I have them all. They're sitting on my bookshelf.
2: Yeah, I need to...
1: All this is sort of making me think there's a Torchwood episode called Countryside, which is, has to do with like um, uh, somebody who's a serial killer. Um, and in the end, you find out that the person isn't—it's not aliens, it's not monsters. They're just basically a horrible, disgusting, mm. murderous human being. And I actually think that this episode would have been right. good if it turned out that oh wait, he's not like some kind of monster in quotes. He's not Jekyll and Hyde. He's actually just mm-hmm. a abusive fuckhead. And this yeah. like people can be monsters yes. too without needing the supernatural stuff. But
2: to be fair, if I remember correctly, Countryside's also it's a not pretty great, terrible but it, episode. It's
1: really, really gross. But Owen. Teague is actually really good. This
0: is Mm -hmm. a problem that I've always had with Buffy, and one of the reasons why I appreciate Angel more, in some ways, in that Buffy is so black and white with it's good and evil. And one of their good and evil things is that we don't kill humans. We don't kill humans. And mm-hmm. for the most part, with unless you you get into, like, your rare exceptions, of like Clem, your demons are bad guys and your humans are good guys. Meanwhile, when you go mm-hmm. over onto Angel and you get much more gray areas in in those terms, you get bad humans. You get good demons. And you get good guys killing humans. And sometimes mm. it's f- it's completely justified and sometimes it's a horrible thing that happens and they shouldn't have done that. Mm. But yeah, I think this is still in that mentality of we have to make Pete a actual monster to mm. legitimize Angel killing him in the end.
2: I think even further, they may be trapped. I think Buffy may have always been trapped by the Monsters less supernatural as metaphor for yeah. real world problems, whereas angel i when when angel premieres and goes on, I think it's not as stuck to that concept.
3: Well, I mean the concept came out of this whole high school is hell yeah. metaphor
2: right, but I think I, I think it kind of continues on even past that right because then college is school. hell.
0: just to jump ahead a little bit. In the seasons. Let's take a look at season six, when Warren is a horrible, magic-using, machine-wielding murderer and attempted rapist. Do we think that, I mean, obviously the way Willow kills him is completely terrible, but do we think that maybe Warren should have been killed because there's no way that he was going to be held in prison?
1: No, the, the only way to get rid of Warren is to kill him, because, yeah, he was going to keep on going and going and going, and he was never going to be rehabilitated, a, a deplorable, horrible human being.
0: The only human character that we ever see in jail is Faith, and that is because Faith wanted to go to jail, and the, the moment when it's no longer good convenient for her to be in jail, she breaks out but anyways we should yeah you know, we're getting into uh, yeah. coming
2: so anyway
3: and I'm, I'm about to get mad at something again in a minute when we get to that scene but yeah yeah moving and,
0: on and we move on and it's uh the, they're in the library talking about Platt, and, and that's juxtaposed with oz talking to debbie giving her his notes and oz completely and utterly knows what is going on yeah
3: absolutely mm-hmm. and, but the way he does it he doesn't come out. He doesn't confront. He makes an offer to talk. And when she doesn't want to talk, he backs off. Part of the reason he backs off is he knows he has to go get in the cage. But I think Oz would have mm-hmm. backed off that in because yeah, he's, he's Oz. And yeah. Yeah. knows that she is not ready. But the best thing you can do in a situation like this is not make these big, you know, you have to leave. You have to do the have-tos of it. You hold space with that person you offer your help in any way you can and then you back off if they don't want to talk about it and Oz does right, everything I, right with that he
0: leaves it open it's almost like when Giles was trying to get Buffy to open up in the last episode mm-hmm. about what happened to Angel it's like I'm not going to confront you directly
1: but I'm here if you right, need And I know to talk. something is going on but I'm not going to push you on it because it's because if I do you're just going to clam up and close me out completely so it's just the bridge exactly. yeah and also does everything right and he you know and he's obviously aware of it and saying I'm aware of it so you know if this were to continue he'd be keeping an eye on her to make sure things don't get even worse or you know if she shows up with a bruise or whatever that there he'll do more in future so
2: also interestingly when when uh, Buffy and Willow do confront her. Oh girl! Everything pretty much goes to <gasps> hell. Oh, oh girl! We
0: will get to that. In I a have minute.
3: never been as angry at Buffy as I am.
0: Uh, uh, before that, we get Oz coming into the library, and one of my favorite lines of all time: "I may be a cold-blooded jelly donut, <laughs> but my timing is impeccable." <laughs> See, that's the <laughs> only the only thing that I really take from this episode is that Oz Oz is precious in it.
3: Oz is, yes, yeah. And again, if you're using the metaphor of men that are Beasts and men that are that that metaphor almost sort of lands, okay. Meaning the the be, the actual beast is not the beast. The actual yeah, Oz being yes beast is actually the gentle, kind, thoughtful soul. The not all men are beasts because there are certainly yeah. ones that aren't. They
0: reveal that you know it's a kill of the day monster, so obviously it was an Oz. And they start to put all of the strings together, first thinking that it's Debbie. But, and that kind of surprises me that Oz doesn't basically say, yeah, I know I think Pete's abusing Debbie. Because he." it was very much set up in the scene before that, that he knows.
1: Yeah, because it's the whole, I don't want to say stereotypical, but the, the bruise on the eye, oh, I walked into a doorknob. I mean, that's like basically the classic. He excuses on why oh, I yeah. bruises and you know why I'm all beat up. Oh I'm so clumsy. I walked into a doorknob. So yeah, that's 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 a tell, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised he didn't say it Yeah.
2: Oh, he absolutely knows. Well the question is who would he have said it to? Because immediately thereafter he has to go in the cage.
1: They're trying to put together who
0: is the one who killed Platt. And they
3: mm-hmm.
2: they
0: first think it's Debbie and Oz still has not gotten into the cage yet because everybody runs out and then Oz is like, I, I guess I'll go right. lock myself up and he's sounds very helpless and actually i felt really bad for Oz in that moment because mm. obviously he wanted to help because i get the impression like this is a- actually probably the biggest failing in this episode that so much of the storyline is centered around scott's relationship with these two and it's like no what you sh- scott should have not been a non-entity in this episode like they did really rush the buffy and scott relationship but that should have just been chucked out and it should have instead been about oz's relationship with these two because oz is a character that we care about and if you had introduced these two characters and it's like oh they're friends with oz maybe pizza member of dingo's ate my baby because we haven't seen anybody else in the band other than devon so then suddenly we care about these characters more
1: Right, or even that we know, we've already set up that Oz was like in the the jazz band with Debbie once upon a time. This is her boyfriend, okay? He knows him peripherally and blah, blah, blah. That would have worked so much better. Scott looks like extraneous.
0: Oz locks himself in the cage and Buffy and Willow go off to talk to Debbie
3: and sigh. Fuck you, Buffy. Fuck you. And that is the only time I will like, you know, but I, there is no defending her in this scene at all. This is... And see, I'm, I'm just... I, I may have to, like, stop talking about this because it is. Like, this is the absolute most unhelpful way. And you know what? Fuck you, Buffy. But fuck you, Marty Noxon, for writing this scene where it's... All it is is one giant victim blame. And we're supposed mm-hmm. to be on Buffy and Willow's right. side in this because there are... There are characters. They're the people we follow. Yeah. We're never the way it's shot the way it's written we're never on Debbie's side and Debbie needs someone like I mean you don't tell Buffy says you know what works for that don't get hit I know I wanted to like punch the television at that point I want to punch the television like I I I literally had to just kind of stop taking notes at this point because I was so angry
0: I do not I hate Buffy in this scene but to play the devil's advocate role I think a lot of Buffy's anger is her um uh, projecting her own feelings about her relationship with Angel slash Angelus, because they mm. did frame a lot of the Angelus stuff as an abusive boyfriend. So I think the problem is, but, and it's almost like the reverse of the problem we were having in Dead Man's Party, where Joyce was trying to apply real world logic to fantastic situations. Buffy is trying to apply her fantastic situations. To real world situations it's the whole you know mm-hmm. metaphor versus reality thing. right
1: mm-hmm. i was frustrated as hell because it's like don't get hit sorry buffy not everybody's a slayer not everybody has super magical you know martial arts powers that if somebody takes a swing at you you can kick their ass if you're an everyday girl and you're going out
3: with an abusive guy you don't have that option
2: yeah no the i mean yeah. that line is complete bullshit it is like, I
3: can't th- even look at that scene as a scene about characters, really, at that point. Mm-hmm. All I can look at that scene as is gross writing from someone that obviously has no experience or really any thought or care about what they're writing about. And again, like a writer is not alone on a show. Like, a lot of times you blame mm-hmm. him a specific light writer for a plot point. But you've got producers and a production team above them that are letting this go through out into the world. So for me, I guess I can't even talk about motivation. I could just talk about how gross and inappropriate and badly, badly done that scene was.
1: And this is one of those cases where you have, you know, you deal with a very, very sensitive subject. If you're gonna talk about it, if you're gonna grandstand about it, get somebody, you know, go to a women's shelter, go talk to somebody who's involved with like a domestic violence group, Get some feedback before you put this out and say, how would somebody handle them? What would be the best way? If you're going to make this as afternoon, you know, ABC afternoon special as they are, then at least get some fucking feedback from people who are experts. And make it the right. most is- important thing because you don't think to blame. I'm going to walk into a woman's shelter and say to like, you know, all these battered
3: women, oh, don't get hit. Like, fuck you. Right. And then the, and the line she says about, someone said, oh, I think we broke her. And she's like, oh, I think she's always been broken. Again, that's basically saying, victims of abuse are broken fundamentally so again this is not the writing stuff and this is not the show to try to do this and i just it it filled me with rage
0: i like i said i think this is kind of the um early signs of some of marty's more controversial writing styles because obviously people have a lot of very divisive opinions on season six and a lot of that comes down to the unhealthy relationships in it and that was marty's right. season. and we obviously will get get into buffy season 6 once we eventually get there, but certainly i think marty has had some very unhealthy relationships in her life and i think that she was using the show a lot to exercise her demons and i think she did that poorly. Yep. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh because let's keep in mind that the whole scene in seeing red with uh buffy and spike that is from personal experience in her life and she was spike in that situation
3: wow yeah i i also think that marty i i and i will defend season six when we get there because it's a season i do i mean they're way problematic stuff but there's People beat up on Marty more than she needed to be beat up on because she wasn't Joss. But at the same time, I also think that Marty has a huge issue that she has not examined, which is ingrained misogyny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Women, it happens with women too. And as much as we're feminists or, you know, all those things that I'm sure Marty identifies with pretty pretty much, there you can get this, like, the society and, and patriarchal values worming their way worming your way into your own consciousness without even realizing it. And then ending up yeah. being women hating even though right. you were a woman.
2: Oh, yeah. It's the, it's the institutional. nature. Yeah. It's,
3: it's institutionalized, me. ingrained misogyny. And that comes out in this scene. I think there is scene, some of that yeah, in Marty. This scene is yeah. just like, so because it is yeah. a woman, and it's two women saying to
1: another mm-hmm. woman, just don't get hit. You know, oh, she's broken. That's not how you deal with this situation.
3: It's woman on right. woman violence, is what it is. I mean, not actual physical violence, but. Right. It's, and it's violence. more
1: abuse, actually,
3: if you think about it.
0: I have my issues with Marty, like actually I think, I feel about Marty very much the same way I feel about Stephen Moffat in that I I quite enjoy a lot of stuff that they do but I think they have a lot of personal issues that need to not turn up on the page. And when it comes to Marty, you know, talking about her misogyny, I actually think the big problem is she tries to disguise her misogyny as misandry. Because she, there's mm. a lot of man hating, but underneath that is this core of misogyny where it's like these women are not being strong enough.
3: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, and this is one of the first. Yeah, yeah. now I gotta calm down. Let's right. finish talking about okay. the rest of the episode. Okay. I well, let's really let's move on from me. this scene
0: and let's move on to the next scene because I actually, I mean, like we start to get really fighty, but I do like this next scene. It's super cheesy, but when Pete comes to. Confront Oz, and it's all stupid, abusive bullshit. But then when Oz holds his own in this goddamn fight before he's
1: even yeah, and, and and Oz knows what's happening, mm-hmm. and Pete doesn't. So it's actually a teehee you know, just wait till the sun goes down, which actually like get, yep. that's the one thing of that that scene did give me life too. Yeah, but it, it's it's great because I mean, like Pete just, like,
0: as a normal person, Pete is bigger than Oz's, because Oz right, is hobbit Prototastic,
3: right? <laughs> Prototastic. TM. And,
0: yeah, I mean, he turns into a, this monster thing, and he throws Oz through a fucking table. And Oz is still holding his own, and he just gets up, and he says, time's up, rules change, and he, like, he, he kind of goes Castiel on his voice, he, like, deepens his voice there. <laughs> And it's it's fucking hot. Like <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just hot. But then we get to see a really good look at the oh, werewolf no. and then all of the hotness just Ugh, goes away.
3: Monkey Wolf. Monkey Yeah. It's a lemur probably. It reminds me of the original comic for iZombie, not the TV show because it's so loosely right. based.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: There was a were terrier. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it's supposed yes. to be funny. It's like it yes. was bit by like a something. And so he's a were-terrier and not an actual yes. werewolf. I'm like, that's this is a were yeah. I really like it. I, I like that jam. Yeah. That's hilarious.
1: Yeah, because like, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, this is not a wolf. This is not even remotely, like, Lupine, no, it's Simeon. What the hell are you doing?
0: So. And then the fight escalates and people run in. And it's been a while since Giles got yeah. knocked out. <laughs>
2: yeah. I was gonna say hey, gonna like Charles getting Charles getting accidentally stabbed or tranked is never oh, not funny. Oh, it's like, it's, well, it's just, this,
0: yeah, it's this what episode
3: where he's like he looks at it and he's like, right, bloody priceless, bloody priceless. <laughs> yes, I, yes. I I don't like the, that. That is bloody priceless. That is
2: even even he's uh, in on the joke right, at this point. Okay. It's just it's,
3: <laughs> yeah, and fight, fight,
0: fight, chase, chase, chase. Does anybody have anything to say on this fightiness?
2: I, no. It's a fighty chasey thing.
0: There's one thing I'm noticing while we're going through these episodes, and granted this is not a joss directed episode, but... I was reading on a, an article on Cracked, and they were talking about, you know, sins that directors repeatedly make. And they were talking about how Joss Whedon has really shitty fight scenes in his movies. And I was like, well, how does Joss have really shitty fight scenes? He did a show with fighting on it for, like, many seasons. But now, as we're going back and watching Buffy, I'm like, huh, the Buffy <laughs> fight scenes actually kind of suck. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't know if Joss has really shitty fight scenes. I, I don't know. The one in Avenger
1: is pretty good, but I, yeah, I, mean, I like the Avengers pretty great. I don't know.
2: I don't I don't think they're terrible, but they're not.
3: Actually, you know what? I'll defend Joss that. Because there are some great fight scenes in Serenity. Malcolm Reynolds can take and they're real visceral and okay. human because yeah.
0: I will I will uh correct things a little bit. He is re- he is okay um and Buffy is pretty good at a one on one fight. Because yes. I mean, even like the shittiness of that uh, becoming fight in terms of the matching, it was still like a really good fight. But when you're getting and like this fight does have like a lot of elements going on, but Buffy is not really good at having like a bunch of different fighting elements going on at the same time, like yeah. keeping up the pace. Okay, because it's just, like I I just like my notes are just kind of you know like fighty fighty oh fight, fight, fighty, fighty, fighty fighty Angel X okay. Machina. <laughs> Though I do do have a theory, and this connects to my whole Angel is in Kortoff theory. Okay, so...
2: It's bunnies, isn't it?
0: it, It's always bunnies. Angel, before he turned into Angelus again, was a really shitty fighter. Like, he was awful in Seasons 1 and the beginning of Season 2. It was always Buffy was the one who was actually doing the fighting, and Angel was just kind of there. But... In season three, Angel is definitely coming more into his own, and certainly it's probably setting up for Angel going over onto his own show and becoming his own hero. But I think in-universe, since Angel was in Kortoth for, like, hundreds of years, (laughs) I think Angel has learned to fight. Angel has learned that he does not need to be soulless to be a badass.
1: (laughs) Nice.
3: Hmm. Even if it wasn't Kortoth, which I love your theory, you know I love you. He's in some kind of dimension where you had to be fighting well, and get better at it. We, we never find
0: out what dimension it is, so it's fucking Kortoth. So it's Kortoth. Me.
3: That's just gospel.
2: Okay, Kortoth. Yeah.
0: So Angel kills off uh, Pete and then kind of comes back to himself.
2: All of a sudden, for no apparent reason.
0: Well, it's because he sated his bloodlust. It's like maybe he was just hangry. <laughs>
1: Have
3: a Snickers, Angel. <laughs> Wait, but he doesn't drain Pete. He just—I thought didn't didn't he rip out Pete's throat? I don't know. I don't of, know. Like, At this point, over. I was so yeah. che- I was so checked yeah. out and blazed over by my anger. how this episode was handled i don't remember honestly i'm i'm pretty
0: sure he ripped out pete's throat and so i think yeah angel was hangry and so that's why he comes
3: back to himself because he ate a snickers he ate an evil gross snickers Mm.
0: you guys should know at this point if i come up with a theory just don't (laughs) question me
3: on it because true true that absolutely it is no it
0: it is now the canon
3: theory in my
0: mind uh but then we get to the ending and cordelia is really like this is like basically, her only scene in the episode. I mean, like she—I can't. She might have been another. other scenes, in the but no.
3: She was in the one. She was.
0: She was.
2: was, one
3: she in was. The oh, yeah, because was we were mad bar. at Xander for being yeah. a dick. Yeah,
0: and that was basically yeah. her only scene, and and she calls it but out. Here, She's like, "Where was I? Where were you?"
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> now, now I'm going to be stuck thinking serious thoughts all day.
2: I I feel so bad for her having to have serious thoughts and all. Damn.
3: Yeah. But he's so um, very Cordelia, and it's that moment of like, oh, Cardi, yes. we missed you so yeah. in this episode.
0: And, and then Willow's like, we I found his science notes, and I was like, you guys never established that Pete was a science genius. Like, you never even established that he right. took science.
2: Well, that's the thing. That's the like, the, the explanation for the whole he mixed up this potion thing is, literally, this is like, well, they found these notes in Pete's lab. What lab? He had a lab? <laughs>
1: for all we know he ordered I mean there was actually internet sales I think Amazon was around in 1998 he could have bought it on the internet you know this the green glowy stuff who the hell knows it makes no sense yeah
2: right yeah it's a, it's just like it, it 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 barely meets the the criteria of being no. a cursory explanation it
0: almost reminds me of Ted when it, Xander's like let me see if i got this straight Ted's a sickly loser built a better Ted and then you know things went bad and it's like you you have to explain it like before you know the guys like at this point pete's dead debbie's dead we don't fucking care what their motivation is you've got to put that in before right.
1: least makes I, the story of ted yeah. actually makes more sense overall than this one does you know and, and he's a more villain but uh, <sighs> this is like who cares you know mm-hmm. right you did a meta- you did your jekyll and hyde story it to the end
0: Okay, so yeah, this sounds like we're getting into yeah. Final Thoughts territory, Sorry. so Final Thoughts mm-hmm. on this episode.
1: Uh, I
3: think uh, mean, you basically just captured yeah. it. You right know, hand. I think I've said my piece on what I feel about this episode, and it. Ha- it this is now my new my new teacher's pet. Like, it, it really is wow. d- it, it, it really it's one I skip most of the time, so maybe I hadn't seen it in long enough that I was not prepared for the like just absolute clusterfuck of bad metaphor, bad writing, and misogyny.
0: It's a testament to how much you hate this episode, And that there is a shirtless Oz scene, and you still think
3: it is the worst. It's super brief. I think just in terms of, yeah, it just I, maybe it comes with age, and it maybe comes with my master's degree in social work. Like, how awfully this is handled and how no, much this is bad. I fucking hate it. So that's my, my final thoughts are mm-hmm. like, I I said what I needed to say and it just, it makes me so angry.
0: Yeah, it really wouldn't surprise me if once we get to the season three roundup, if we see this turning up on the the, the, the worst.
3: This is my number one. This is already my number one yeah, worst. It, it's
1: bad. I mean, yeah. other than, you know, the, the brief Oz stuff, which is wonderful because Oz is a wonderful character and, you know, Seth is just so mm. good at it. It sucks. As a story, as yeah. a narrative, as a metaphor, as a after-school special, everything is just, like, so wrong about
0: it. Yeah. But even the brief Oz stuff, as much as I want to love it, it almost makes me angry that there's not enough of it that they don't focus on it so yeah i think i think we're all in Mm -hmm. agreement that this one is just not good so uh in terms of trivia the only thing i've got is that the music that faith listens to when she's babysitting oz is teenage hate machine by mark ferrari and that's about it uh and like like i said earlier the alternate title for this episode is all men are beasts which is actually how I knew this episode for years and years and years until somebody pointed mm-hmm. out, no, this episode's actually called Beauty and the Beast. And I'm like, okay.
1: Yeah. I, okay. And like I said, I also, know. it feels like they were also trying to do just the whole universal monster thing because you've got your vampire, you got your werewolf, and then you've got your Jekyll and Hyde. And oh, they all fight together. And who's who's the good? And it turns out two out of the three are actually good guys. Well, who cares? Yeah,
2: yeah basically, you were yeah. just missing an invisible man. <laughs> Jekyll
1: and Hyde meet Dracula, meet there the you wolf
3: go. man. Meets Buffy. Did you have? Did you have? Hold on! Someone else had final thoughts. Oh, she said it sucks. <laughs> okay. Now, River <laughs> well, it
2: well, River, if River says it well, sucks, that, yeah. I'm not going to disagree.
3: Final answer. Cat was... gives final and answer. And
1: as since she's technically a beast. She gets the Jesus sweet, yeah, she sweet. She is. She's she's a fantastic yeah. beast.
2: She is. Aw. And mean, we know where, where to where find her. Uh, so next
0: time. We'll be reviewing Homecoming, and I'm sure we'll all have many, many thoughts on that, both good and bad. Ah, yeah. Yes. So until then, grrr,
3: arg, grrr, arg,
2: grrr, arg.
0: We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at returntothehellmouth, on Twitter at hellmouthreturn, or on email at returntothehellmouth@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher, and check out our show merchandise on TeePublic and Redbubble. Also check out our sister podcasts, Drag Hags, and the Trash Compactor podcast. See you on Tuesday. Grr. Arg.